Well, we're teaching about something this week that is probably the most near and dear to my heart of anything probably that you could talk about is people's marriages. Because when you have a bad one, you're miserable. Totally. Now, Keith and I got married when we were very, 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 very young. We've been together like forever. Women always give more details than the men do. Keith will just tell you the word and preach the word, but I'm going to give you some details. Y'all like details, don't you? Yeah, yeah. All right. And Keith will have to turn his head and I'll have to keep my back to him. So he goes, you know, no, he doesn't do that. But anyhow, anyhow, we got married. And um, when we got married, we had a lot to learn. Because we didn't know nothing about marriage. And so uh, we got married when we were 17, two days out of high school. And we had been dating since junior high. And I think Keith told the ones of you who were here one Sunday morning, one of the very first things that attracted me to Keith was we went to the zoo. This is how young we were. On the school bus with our class. And Keith took his little jacket off. He had a denim jacket. Now, it wasn't like some big fancy jacket. A denim jacket. He took it off. I remember it explicitly. I mean, I can still see it today. And he was sitting on a seat with another guy. And he took his jacket off. And he just folded it so ever so neatly across his lap. You know, and I thought, that is the guy for me forever and eternity. Because, I mean, all the rest of the little kids just took their little jackets up and wadded them up and threw it in a bundle. Does Dave do that? Don't tell on him. Don't tell on him. <laughs> no, anyway. So, uh, but he did that. So, um, we got married and we went through, we went through. Yeah. That's what I'll say about that. We went through and we came out on the other side. And I don't know about you guys, but anybody that wants to give me advice about something, I like to know that they've either done it or they know enough word about it to tell me about it. I don't want somebody. There's a lot of teachers out there that can teach you how to do something that has never done it in their life. You know, somebody may teach you how to scuba dive, but is scared to death of scuba diving. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, so you don't want things like that. You want people that have gone through something, either gone through it or have enough word in them to know what the word says about it. We didn't have enough word in us. We didn't have hardly any word in us. Matter of fact, I didn't have any word in me when we got married. I didn't even know what the word was, you know. So uh, it wasn't like we had a good foundation to base it on because uh, we didn't know enough about it to base it on. So we started out on the wrong track and uh, had to find the right track and uh, made a lot of mistakes. So we learned everybody had their opinion about what you should do. This was one of the advices I got. I thought one time Keith wasn't paying enough attention to me, so somebody told me to go out and buy the skippiest bikinis I could find and wear them in front of other people. Now, that was advice people gave. You know, that's stupid advice. Another form of advice, uh, spending money. Go buy it and don't tell him you bought it. Just hide it. And then when he says, where did you get that? Say, I've had it a long time. Now, this is advice, marital advice, you guys. Has anybody ever heard things like that before? Yes. Isn't that dumb? That has got to be some of the dumbest advice you've ever... So I found out real quickly that the world knew absolutely nothing about marriage. So I decided I'll look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) What's marriage? Hey, when you're hurting, you want answers, right? So I went to the Webster's Dictionary, and I looked up the word marriage. And you know what it said? The act of being married. (laughs) 
Now that answers all your questions, right? For the rest of your married life, that fixes it for you, right? You don't have any more questions about, no, that doesn't answer any of your questions. So we were married, and not long after we were married, I started working for a doctor. And he had tapes of different ones, and we started getting on the word. And so, um, you know, you've heard Keith tell the story about when he was baptized. No, when he was seeking the Holy Ghost. Y'all all remember those stories about how I came down to the altar and got baptized that night and I got filled with the Holy Ghost and he still was wanting. So he didn't receive the Holy Spirit. And I thought the most important thing to me at that time was when I get baptized in this oneness Pentecostal church, all of you know what they believe. They believe don't cut your hair, don't wear any makeup, don't wear any rings, don't wear pants. And you can see me. That would have really, really rattled my cage. So... So I thought, okay, I'm going to get baptized this night. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be baptized. And what the Lord is going to tell me when I get baptized is I can't wear pants anymore. I thought that. I was dumb. Dumb. But he did something even worse than that. See how quiet y'all got? Worse. And I wouldn't tell Keith. So I got baptized, and uh, I was believing that I went, when I went down to get baptized, that when I came up, I would be filled with the Spirit. Well, that exact thing happened. When I went down under the water, um, I wasn't speaking in tongues, but the moment that the motion started going upward, I started speaking in tongues, and been doing it ever since. And so I thought for sure I was going to have to quit wearing my makeup and quit wearing my pants and all these other things. But that's not the most important thing to God. The heart is the most important thing to God. And so God knew where I was at, and he knew what I'd been searching for, and he knew already the trouble that Keith and I had had, and he knew what our future was way more than I knew what our future was. And if you'll just listen to him, he'll set you on a right course. He'll lead you in the right direction. It doesn't take any person to lead you in the right direction. God can direct you in the right direction if you will listen to him. Now, that was the choice that I had that night. Immediately, I come up out of the water, and while I'm speaking in tongues, immediately, immediately, the Lord tells me something. So I go back to the house. I'm all wet. You don't understand. It's April. It's freezing cold. It's like 30 degrees outside. We go to a pond. I get baptized. It's not some baptistry in a church or a swimming pool, and it's 90 degrees outside. Okay, so I got baptized, and so I go home, and Keith knew something was different. He kept saying, what did the Lord tell you? And I say, oh, nothing. And he'd say, what did the Lord tell you? And I'd say, oh, nothing. And he kept looking at me. And so this one, I don't know how long I went without telling you. Do you remember? Long time, he says. <laughs> long time. So anyway, I just pondered it in my heart. And I started getting my Bible out and started studying these things. Because what the Lord told me was something I had never heard in my life. And don't be scared. I'm not going to browbeat anybody. But this is what the Lord told me. Phyllis, the most important thing that you can do in life is submit to your husband. That's what he told me. I had never heard that word submit before in my whole life. Never. I was raised in a different denomination. They never taught those kind of things. I never read a Bible. I don't even know for sure if I had a Bible personally. I never read it. So what I began to do without his knowledge is I began to study out things about marriage and study out what the word says about marriage and study out what God said about marriage instead of that wonderful advice I had been getting. I mean, if you've ever listened to and talked to your friends about it, you get some of the stupidest answers about what to do about marriage. But there's only really one person that knows about marriage, and that's God. 
He is the only one. So I began to study those things out. And I didn't tell Keith. I don't know. It was probably years before I told Keith that. When I got enough confidence to tell him that, you know. But the thing about it was, I didn't know where our future led. I didn't know what we were going to be doing down the road. I didn't know where we were going to be down the road. But God knew. And he knew that he had on his hands a man that his daddy ran the family, and my mom was responsible for a, a lot of the stuff in our family. I mean, we most always went to mama about everything, you know? And so what you had is you had a man that ran his family and a woman that ran the family, and you put those two together, and you tied two cat's tails across a barbed wire fence. <laughs> because it was a power struggle then. And don't you find a lot of times that's what marriage is, is a power struggle? It's who's going to back down now? I backed down last time, now it's your turn to back down. Right? I mean, how far can you push and how far can you give? To me, that is the issue with marriage stuff, is the power struggle of who's going to win this battle and who's right and who's wrong and who gets the say about this and who gets the say about that. So you want to find out? Do y'all want to find out? Nobody wants to find out now. I've got everybody scared. (laughs) Scared. No, don't be scared. Do I look like I am an intimidated, beaten down, quiet, uh, abused person? Do I look that way to you? You know? And that is the most important thing. That's what it talks about in um, Peter when it tells the women not to be afraid, to be like Sarah and not be afraid. And all their situations can be fixed. But what happens is people immediately, when you start talking about these things, they start shutting down. And they build up a wall immediately and they say, okay, um, here she goes. What are we going to do now? But that's not the case. Relax, okay? Because you see me, I'm not scared. I'm not beaten down. Keith pretty much... He'll, he'll, he'll stop me every once in a while, but pretty much I've learned where my limits are, you know, and um, I don't push too far. But uh, anyhow, there are some answers in the word that no other person can give you. So why don't we go there and find out instead of my opinion or your opinions or anybody's opinion, because what worked for them doesn't necessarily work for you. Because in their family, he may be the quiet one, and he may say, da-da-da-da-da. And in their family, she may be the loud one, you know? So you you cannot fix two marriages exactly the same way, no matter how hard you try, because no two people are the same. So let's look at some things about it. And if we want to have a title on tonight, it's going to be titled, Please Your Spouse. Y'all interested in that? Well, let's turn to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7. Y'all all all there? All right. Let's look at verse 32. Now, if you haven't read these things, I would encourage you, not just this week, I would encourage men and women to read Ephesians and 1 Peter, Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter and Corinthians on at least monthly basis. It takes about five minutes to read the ones about marriage, and it'll help you. It'll just start putting things in you that you don't even know that you had. And we are reading the New Testament together, so you should get it a little bit. So uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He's talking about the husbands and wives and people are asking him, should they get married or should they not get married? Let's go ahead and start back up at 25 so you can get the whole picture of what's going on. Now concerning virgins, male and female virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, but yet I give my judgment. This is Paul talking as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distresses. And I say that it's good for man so to be. 
In other words, are you married to a wife? Then don't seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Then don't seek a wife. But if you are married, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, they shall have what? Trouble in the flesh. So that's where the problem comes in. Keep that in mind. Trouble in the flesh. Didn't say you're going to have spiritual troubles. It says you're going to have trouble with your flesh. So keep that in mind. But he wants to spare you that. So go on down to verse 32. That's what he's talking about. But I would have you without carefulness. He that's unmarried... This is an unmarried man, cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33, but, what's that word? But, everybody say but. He that's married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his, all the men say the next word. All the men read that with me. How he may please his what? Wife, okay? Now let's read about the wife part. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and in spirit, but that she that is married cares for the things of the world and how she may please her what? So if you're married, you can no longer just care about one thing. What does it say we should do? It says the husband should care about pleasing his Wife, the wife should care about pleasing what? Her husband. Immediately, that makes me go back and think about what Keith said last night. About that we should bring everything back to Christ and the church. Remember, he said last night, if you want to apply anything about marriage, relate it back to Christ and the church. So let's do that. How does this apply to Christ and the church? Okay, take a sinner, for instance. A sinner comes in on a Sunday morning. They get saved. They get up from the back of the auditorium there, and they, just like this young lady is walking down the aisle here. You can all turn around and look. She's just a walking down the aisle. Perfect time, and I think we set it up that way. <laughs> so she's coming down the aisle. She comes down to the front as a sinner. When she gets down to the front and confesses that she's no longer a sinner and that Jesus is Lord of her life, what does she do? She goes out the door and begins to submit to the Lord. A totally different person. She should no longer only care about what happens in the world. She should no longer, he should no longer go to the bars. I mean, there should be a a difference in this person the minute that they get saved. Is that correct? You should see a distinctive difference in this person when they get saved. They should be joyous. Uh, They should be able to stand and resist things that they haven't been able to stand and resist before. They should be able to do things for the Lord that they never had intentions of doing for the Lord before. They should read their Bible every day like their pastor says. Right? You should see a big difference from the time that that person comes down to the front. If they are getting to a church, they get fed, their lives get... What about your life? Okay, put it back in your own lap. You got saved. What happened to you? Did you change anything? What did you change? Everything. What did you change? You began faithfully seeking out what the Lord wanted for your life. Did you not? Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What are your plans for me in my life? You're a different person now. Some of you went to Bible school. Some of you got in the Word. Some of you got in the ministry. You're a different person now. Is that correct? 
Well, you know that the sinner that comes down doesn't change anything, still goes to the bars, still goes and does drugs, still hangs around with the exact same people he was hanging around before he got saved, still does exactly the same thing he did before he got saved. What's going to happen to that person? They don't read their Bible. They don't get connected into a good church. They don't get connected into the things of God. What is going to happen to that person? They're going to fall away. They're going to backslide. They're going to lose their fellowship with the Lord. Is that correct? Now, did the Lord do that? Who did that? They did it. They pulled themselves away from God. Completely and wholly. They pulled themselves away from him. God is all the time nudging them saying, do this, do this. And all the time, what are they doing? Just the opposite, going the other way. Constantly. God will deal with people. The Holy Ghost inside you will deal with you when you get saved. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And he will try to get you on the right path. Okay, so how does this relate, Christ in the church, to your marriage? Did you not walk down an aisle as a single person? Did you not light a unity candle? Maybe you didn't go through these exact motions, but you two did what? You joined together. Just like you joined to the Lord when you got saved, you joined to your spouse when you got married. Now, you turn around and you walk out that door. Whatever aisle it is, you walk out that door. Should you immediately go join your old buddies and go partying? Should you immediately do the exact same things you did when you were single? Sit around and uh, drink beer and watch TV and watch football and uh, not care about the house or the wife or any of these things. Should you do exactly the same thing you did before you got married? Not if you want that marriage to last very long. Not if you want things to be good between you and him. Not if you want your life to go forward and you two grow together instead of the fellowship and pull apart. What happens, though, is the exact same thing. You get a man and a wife that are just newly married. And immediately they have a choice. We can go party or we can go to a marriage seminar. God nudges them, go to a marriage seminar. Get your life on the right track from the start. Or he tells you, get your Bible out and you begin reading some of the marriage scriptures together. You don't know anything about marriage. Get your Bible out and you two as a couple read the things about marriage together. God will nudge you to do things like that. Just like he nudged you when you were a sinner and you got saved, he immediately began to deal with you. Read your Bible. Does everybody read their Bible? No. Does everybody pray every day? No. Does everybody do everything that they know they're supposed to do in their marriage? So why is it a big mystery? People act like it's this big, big, cosmic unknown. Oh, why is my marriage falling apart? This big cosmic, oh God, what's happening? And they go to 12 different people for 12 different counseling sessions and 12 different people give them 12 different answers. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, what did you deal with us to do? 
What did you deal with us to do when we got married? That's why marriages last 50 years. These people have been in the ministry. They know there's certain things that you have to do in order to have a good marriage. It don't just fall in your lap. Matter of fact, the Bible says you'll have trouble in the flesh when you get married because you have flesh and she has flesh. And ask if he knows I got flesh. <laughs> Dear me, he looks at me sometimes like, Phil, you know, I didn't know anything. And God was merciful to me to give me such a wonderful husband when I didn't know anything. And give me somebody that was patient and enduring and, and long-suffering and gentle and kind. When I could have got somebody that would have whacked me across the head and said, shut up a time or two, because I probably needed to hear it, you know, but I didn't. I got somebody that was patient with me and let me grow up and and change. And somebody in that marriage is going to have to be that way. Somebody's going to have to begin to pray. I know people think, you know, marriages are get so bad. They can get so bad that you just want to run and hide. I know of people. You can think your marriage is so bad that there's never any fixes for it. I know of people that's been divorced, married other people, and back together again today. I know of people that just got divorced and got remarried again. I know them real close. So don't tell me that marriages can't be fixed or that they can't change or people can't change because... Hey, ask Keith, can people change? Look at me. I remember the first time I had to get up and speak. I mean, I think I threw up for three days before it. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And uh, he'd say, what's the deal? Just like you're talking to one person. Yeah, you know, and I'd still be sick. Anyway, so what we want to look at tonight is we want to look at some areas that people have trouble in, it seems as, more than other areas. Are you interested in some of those things and some ways of how to fix some of those things? In doing these things, how many of you in here right now could say, after I got married, the Lord started dealing with me to do this? Everybody didn't raise their hand. And I doubt seriously that the Lord didn't deal with you. You shouldn't go out and party with your buddies or you shouldn't go to the pool hall half the night or you shouldn't. You know what I'm talking about. I bet you God dealt with every person in here to change something when they got married. If he didn't, it's a miracle you're still here today. Because somebody's got to change. Somebody's got to change. So let's look at some of the things that I have down here that I think are some of the problem areas that people have had today. Number one, I think that people have problem with their time. They don't have time to spend with each other. And when they are together, it's like they don't want to be together. It's like I've seen situations over and over again. Uh, I can tell this one because um, they're going on to be with the Lord. And his grandmother was very, very precious. I loved his grandmother and grandfather just like they were my own. And uh, we spent time around them. But I was frustrated for her. Because so many times he'd say, I don't know if y'all know, but most people around here would know this. On Saturday mornings, it was like a normal thing. Let's get up and go to town. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's when you went shopping, you did your grocery shopping, you did all your buying, you did all this stuff. I tell you what, that man, bless his soul. I mean, he had his own faults too, but this was one of her faults that I'm going to tell you about. She took forever to get ready. I mean, she was never ready to go. He waited on her and he waited on her and he waited on her till he got to a point where he'd just get up and go and forget about her. Somebody else would have to take her. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, has that ever happened to you? 
I know times, and I told you I'm going to tell off on myself, so y'all just be ready. I know when Keith and I first got married, I would always do this. Now, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to embarrass me. Okay, Keith would say, we have to be ready to go at 5 o'clock. Well, the house was clean at 5 o'clock. Do you get my point? I wasn't ready to go at 5 o'clock, but the house was clean. Because I thought to leave, the house had to be clean. Somebody's laughing back there. Somebody else thinks that. (laughs) Y'all don't have to be so serious in here tonight. I'm telling off of myself. I'm not even talking about y'all. So bless his heart. He'd wait on me. He would do it patiently. But I was always late. I was never, ever, ever on time to go anywhere. Never. I don't care where we were going. I don't care. He had to wait on me. Now, don't laugh too loud. Because I may be talking about you, too. There are times in people's lives where they have to make some adjustments. I had to make an adjustment. If I didn't want to wind up just exactly like his grandmother and grandfather was, I realized real quickly I had to make an adjustment. Because it had already begun to happen. He got tired of waiting. He'd want to go somewhere. He'd get up and he'd go. Instead of waiting on me. Well, you say, well, that ain't right. Well, why ain't it right? Why should he have to be ready to go for hours and sit there and wait on me for hours? Because all I felt like I had to do was clean the house. Which is fair. Who's supposed to give? Well, we come back to the one thing the Lord told me. What was it? Yeah. That's what he told me. I can't tell him what he told you. But I know what the Bible says. And it told me that I needed to do some changing. Now, on the flip side of the coin, you got men that are always, never, ever helping their wives do anything. And so, therefore, they can never be ready to do anything that they want to do. They've got the kids. They've got the house. They've got everything. And they're never really, I mean, they haven't changed a thing. They want to live their carefree lifestyle. They want the wife to have the kids, take care of all the kids, and work a job and do everything that they're supposed to do and still be ready every time that they want them to go somewhere. Well, there has to be a pleasing. You, the men, need to learn how to please your wife. The wife needs to learn how to please her husband. And there has to be a middle of the road somewhere. There can't always be that he's always waiting on me. Every time we get ready to go somewhere, now I'm ready on time. Aren't I ready on time? I'm ready on time. Yes, it took me about 15 years, but I'm ready on time now. Glory to God. And you can be ready on time, whether it's the husband or whether it's the wife. Somebody has to make an adjustment. They have to make a change. When it's time to go, ladies, it's not time to clean house. You know, and try on 26 outfits at the same time. Right? So there has to be changes where that's concerned. Okay, the other thing is I know of people. That this is a real touchy issue. I know of a couple that um, he traveled a lot and she stayed home and she wanted to make sure everything was all right when he was gone or when she was gone. So she would go in and uh, she had this mentality that this is what marriage was, that the wife 
uh, worked her job. She came in. Immediately, she put supper on the table. And at 5 o'clock sharp or 6 o'clock sharp, supper was eaten. The dishes were cleaned out by a certain time. And this was done at this time. And this was done at this time. And by 7 o'clock, everything was perfectly clean. Everything was perfectly ready. And they were ready to sit down, watch TV, and then go to bed. That was their lifestyle. But he had an idea that he wanted to come in. He was tired. He wanted to come in, and he wanted to sit down with a candy bar and a Coke with supper on the table and relax and watch TV and watch the news and maybe eat dinner at about 8 o'clock. Some of you are laughing. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, the thing wrong with that is you still have the situation of automatically you're doing a turnabout that she has got her mentality of what somebody else's marriage was like, not trying to find out what her and her husband will do to get along, not trying to adapt in any way, but she is adapting her marriage after someone else's marriage instead of adapting her marriage according to this. In Ephesians 5.22 and in 1 Peter It says, wives, adapt yourselves unto your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It tells us that we're supposed to please each other. So what should happen in these situations is, say that you've got a couple. Okay, say that they uh, have worked all day. And he doesn't care whether the house is clean. Now, this is the way Keith is. Okay? And I had to learn this by finding out what my husband wanted. Keith would rather... That the house be a mess, although he likes a clean house, but that the house be a mess and I not be so worn out to be able to enjoy time with him. Instead of spending three and a half hours in the kitchen cooking a meal that it takes him ten minutes to eat, he'd rather we jump in the car and go get something and me not be so worn out to where that I can spend time with him and we can enjoy each other's fellowship. So what should happen in these situations? Instead of putting somebody else's mentality on your marriage, what should you do? Ask. Communication is not the number one problem in marriage, but it is a problem. Because people try to adapt their marriages after everybody else that they see on TV, after everybody else that they see. This other couple that I know, this woman, bless her heart, her mother and dad had been divorced. And so she determined in her heart that she was going to have the perfect marriage. So she went about it. If anybody worked at having the perfect marriage, this person worked at having the perfect marriage. She would go in. She would have supper on the table. The floors and the house would be spotless. She had his clothes lined up in the closet perfectly with his shoes underneath it, with his socks in the shoes, with his belt matching everything to where he never had to do anything because she didn't want to lose him. But all he wanted her to do was come on and go for a ride with me. Forget the house. Come on, go for a ride with me. Let's enjoy each other's company. But she was unwilling to do that because she thought the perfect marriage was having the house perfect. I know of people today that have given up on their marriages because the wife thinks the house has to be perfect. I know of women today that have given up on marriage because the man is unwilling to do anything to help around the house, unwilling to pick up anything, unwilling to do anything. To help his wife. And she works as much as he works. Used to that. The society was that um, 
Men worked. They brought home the paycheck. The woman stayed home all day. She cooked. She cleaned. She did all these things. And so, therefore, the society was a little bit different. But today, how many women in here hold down jobs? Look at that. 85, 90% of the crowd. So it's not okay that everything get dumped in one person's lap. Keith is my greatest helper. But on the flip side of the coin, you cannot continuously be doing things that just grate each other the wrong way. There's got to be a pleasing of the husband. There's got to be a pleasing of the wife. So go back, read that. Husbands, you should try to please your wife. You shouldn't try to grade her the wrong way. And if you know that things are grading her the wrong way, you should at least try and remember what happened to you when you came down the aisle. It didn't mean that everything in your life could stay exactly the same. It meant that some things would have to change. Y'all are mighty, mighty, mighty quiet. Mighty, mighty, mighty quiet. Some things have to change. You cannot stay exactly the way that you are and expect everything to get better. When you got saved, you had to begin changing some things. I know in my own life, the more that I have changed and tried to live for the Lord and done what it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto me, I know how much better my life has gotten. Not only my life, but my marriage. Well, it's the same thing with my marriage, though. I could have gone through my marriage and I could have been the loudmouth, brassy, pushy, um, lying, conniving, sneaky person that I was when I got married or I could have changed. And I guarantee you, had I not have changed, we wouldn't be here today. And you needn't think that life is just going to get better for you if you're unwilling to change anything. Things get better when you change. How much better is your life since you've put God first? Can you tell a difference in your life? Can you tell a difference in your kids? Can you tell a difference in everything? You know, with your kids, you can pretend all you want to pretend that there's no problems between you and your husband. But the minute you have problems, you and your husband, you're going to begin to see problems with your children. They'll start seeing problems at school. They'll start seeing problems at work. They'll start seeing, I mean, any place that the kids go, there's going to start beginning to be problems because kids pick up on this. Kids' little spirits, I mean, it's the most amazing thing to me how quickly they pick up on things. You don't even have to say anything, but they pick up on stuff. Well, if they pick up on it, don't you think, like Keith said the other night, your spouse can pick up on it and you're laying in the bed and the division that's between you? What happens is, immediately when things start happening in your life, you have a choice. I'll put it this way. You have a choice. Say your husband, uh, let's see what he does. He leaves his clothes on the floor. He leaves his towels on the floor. He leaves things laying out that just bother you. Well, you have a choice immediately at that point. And I'm talking to the ladies right now. Then we'll do a flip-flop. Um, you have a choice at that point in time. Is this worth destroying a marriage over? Because, think about it this way. When you were dating him, you remember that time? When you were dating him, you would have waited on him hand and foot. You would have done anything that he wanted you to do just to get him. What happened when you walked down the aisle? 
You go away with the mentality. I don't know how many people we've dealt with. We've sit in counseling sessions and they're going to get married. And they've got a couple of things about their to-be spouse they don't like. But they're going to change them when they get married. How many married people know how well that works? It don't work. It does not work. But people go into marriage with that mentality. Well, they've just got a couple of little things that I don't like. But once we get married, I'll be around them all the time and I'll change that. It changes, all right, for the worse. Because people, lack of a better word, let their hair down. And they just become themselves again. And they quit trying to please each other. When you're dating, ladies, you used to get up. You used to spend a half a day putting your makeup on finding the exact outfit, the right pantsuit, the right dress, whatever you were going to wear on a date, you'd go shopping for three days to find the exact right outfit to wear before you went out on a date. Absolutely. Absolutely. You would find whatever they liked. If Men, if you went in a store and you saw something that your girlfriend-to-be wife liked, what would you do? You'd get it. You treated her like a princess. You treated her like she was as precious as gold. You treated her like there was nothing that she could do wrong. Because you wanted her. You wanted her around you. You liked the way she made you feel. Then things changed when you walked down the aisle. You quit trying to please each other. You quit trying to please the other person and began to please yourself. You began to look for, that does not please me. And thinking about, that does not please me. Instead of what the scripture says, find out how to please your husband. Husbands, find out how to please your wife. You stop trying to do the thing that was making you want to be married in the first place. Instead of it going stronger after you walk down the aisle, you began to become, I have my needs now. I have things he needs to do for me now. And when you start focusing on yourself and you start looking at what you don't have and what you don't get and how insufficient your husband is and how many problems he has or how many problems your wife has, you quit trying to please each other. Women like to hear that you love them. You used to tell them that. You used to send them little cards and notes and little things before you married them. How many of you wrote a poem for your wife before you married her? Be manly. Good gracious. Don't be ashamed. Keith wrote me a poem. Look at him. He's raising his hand. Raise your hand. How many of you wrote your wife a poem before you got married? Yeah, we got some real men in here. Yes, they're not ashamed. How long has it been since you wrote your wife a poem? Do you get my point? You quit trying to please each other. You begin to look for each other's faults. And the more you look for faults, guess what? The more you're going to find them. The more you look for problems, the more you're going to find problems. you got to start looking for the good in them again, and then you'll see the good in them again. Thank God God doesn't look at all the negative in me ever since I got saved. Thank God he didn't look at me today, and he didn't say, Oh, dear God, that woman's got to get up there in front of those people. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this work? Thank God he didn't think that about me. Thank God he thinks the best of me at all times. Even though I feel totally inadequate, he always thinks the best of me. 
He always sees the good in me. It's not that he don't see things that I need to change and be constantly telling me, Phil, change this, change this, change this. That's the way the Lord is. If he would have told you everything you needed to change the day you got saved, you'd have run out the church the opposite direction. Don't you find that? Don't you find that the more you grow, the more you see you need to grow? That's what happens in marriages. You think you know about what marriage is or what it's supposed to be, and you quit trying to find out what will please the other person. Let's go on with a couple of other things here that I've got. Okay? Say, for instance, um, your wife likes to go antique shopping and you don't like to go, but you like to watch football. Y'all understand the scenario there. At some point in time, somebody needs to do a flip-flop, and you need to go shopping with her, Mike, every once in a while. Right? I mean, if you expect her to sit there and bring you cold drinks and popcorn while you watch football, the least that you can do is go to the mall with her every once in a while. Now, Keith doesn't have that problem because I don't like to go shopping too much. But I will tell you what I did. What you find out real quickly is if you try and you want to be happy, you begin to, if your husband plays golf, find a golf club, find out how to play golf. My husband likes motorcycles. I rode a motorcycle one time. And you know what I did with it? I was like, how old was I? 16 maybe? 17? Something like that. And it was his mother's motorcycle. And I got on the thing because he liked motorcycles so well. So I thought, I've got to learn how to ride a motorcycle, okay? So I got on the motorcycle and I drove it straight up the flower bed, straight up a tree, backward flip, turned over. Never got on another motorcycle. Never. Can y'all see that now? It did happen. Witnesses. But that did not mean that I still didn't ride motorcycles. If he was on a motorcycle, this blonde hair was flying in the wind. It didn't matter how uncomfortable it was. It didn't matter if it was raining or it was cold. It didn't matter how much clothes I had to put on. Because I thought, if he likes motorcycles, bless God, I'm going to like motorcycles. And today, I have a motorcycle and I ride it everywhere he goes. And he don't leave the house without me behind him on his motorcycle. Because I got a motorcycle. And I like it probably more than he likes it now. Can things change? Can you begin to like things that you didn't like before? Can you begin to do things that you didn't enjoy doing and start getting into it and find out, yeah, I like this. You know, well, if you like your spouse at all, surely you're not that totally different to where if they really, really enjoy something that you couldn't find some enjoyment in it also. If you are to where, I mean, look at these guys here. They work together. They do. I mean, if he's working on air conditioning, she is holding his hand working on the air conditioning. I'm telling you what, they are a team. And that's how things work. What happens is people quit trying to do this. And what happens is people quit their marriage. They're still in the same house, in the same bed, but they have quit on their marriage. They have quit. They don't try to be married anymore. They don't try to love each other anymore. They're not going to get a divorce, but they have absolutely quit on marriage. And that is a sad case. Because marriage, I tell you what, I wouldn't give all the tea in China, all the money in the whole wide world to be single right now. I would, no way, because of all the joy that I have in my marriage. For as bad as it was when we first got married, when I didn't know diddly squat about being married, God can do a total flip-flop and make it as wonderful as anything in your whole life, in the whole world, the most precious thing you could ever ask for. There is not a person on this earth that is my best friend except for my husband. 
There's not a person on this earth that knows everything about me, that cares about me, no matter if I mess up, if I do good, if I do bad, if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing. He might not like it at that time, but dear me, all he's looking for is that I don't embarrass myself. And oftentimes that's the way it is in a marriage, that a spouse will see things in you that you don't see in yourself. He will see or she will see how you represent yourself in front of other people more than what you can see. And a lot of times what happens is they try to tell you that and you're so full of pride that you don't want to hear it. Ask me how I know. I have a husband that is a teacher. He is a teacher's teacher and he teaches all the time. Guys, is that correct? He's constantly teaching. I don't matter if he's changing a flat, if he's cooking something, if he's uh, flying the airplane, if he's talking to you about something, he is teaching you. I mean, if he wants to look at a new car, he's teaching you about the new car. It'll do this and it'll do that and it'll do this and it'll do that. And he finds out all the facts about it and then he teaches you about it before he buys it. And that's what he is. He's a teacher. That's what he does, right? He is a teacher. He's a good teacher. Yes. But I'm not a teacher, quote teacher. I'm more of an exhorter type, you know. Hey, do it. Stop it. You know, ask my staff. I don't take forever to explain it to them. I just say, hey, stop it. Change that. If you change it, things will be better. Can't you see that, you know. And, And that's the way that I am. Forget all the time to teach it. Just change it. You know, that may be why some of the counseling sessions that I have hasn't gone so good. I had to repent. I remember one time this girl, she weighed a lot. She weighed a lot. And I had to repent about this. I'm just telling you all about me, okay? And she came to see me about counseling. And I had lost a little bit of weight at that time. And and, uh, I was young, okay? I was very, very young. And uh, she came to me and she said, "Um, uh, I'm real upset about my weight. What can I do? I said, stop eating. (laughs) Duh. Duh. I mean, how dumb can you get, you know? If you're overweight, there's no big theological, uh, you know, whatever all those big heavy words are. If you're overweight, okay, the only reason I know that is because I'm talking to myself. Because I tell Keith, I say, Keith, I've done everything. I've tried every diet. I've starved myself. I've done this. I've done that. I've done everything. He says, Phil, sweet, precious, calm. You can't gain weight if you don't eat. If you burn more than you take in, it'll go away. Just as calm, just teaching me, teaching me, teaching me. Well, it's just so true. Okay, duh, turn on the light bulb, Phyllis. If you quit eating so much, you'll lose weight, you know. So you quit eating so much, you know. Well, that's the way it is with marriage, guys. It's not some mixed up, confusing, doctrinal, demon, encouraged, anything that messes up your marriage. It's not. And people get so confused about it. So one word of advice to you, change. Change. I had to. And I have a wonderful marriage now. If you don't change, it stays the same. Or you separate. It's real simple. It's real simple. So here's some more things to change. I know women that get married 
And they put so much pressure on their husband about money that their marriage can never work. That they have to have a certain level of living in order to survive. And they have just about destroyed their marriages over it. Now, if I would have done that to Keith, we would be in a mess right now. We learned to grow in faith together. I didn't put pressure on him. He taught me real quickly that God was my source. And I'm glad he did. Because my husband is not my source. And pressure with finances can destroy a marriage. And I know of women that all they do is they put pressure on their husbands to bring in the money. And the husband is dumb enough to take it. He's dumb enough to take the pressure. And to work 24 jobs. Husbands, you are not the provider of your household. God is their source. I mean, and unless you're not wanting your wife to work and your finances are in a mess, dear me, woman, get out and get a job. Help pay the bills. I mean, this particular couple that I'm talking about, she has so much pressure on her husband to bring in the money and stuff. I think at one point he was working three jobs, trying to do everything he could, and she is a perfectly healthy, beautiful woman and will not work for nothing. And it's not that he don't want her to. She just doesn't feel like she can do it or something. I don't know. So they go down the tube. Well, is that dumb or what? You know, sow your seed. Believe God together. Find out who your source is. Take pressure off your husband. Go to your husband and say, hey, look, honey, um, I know we need this money, but I can believe for this if you can believe for that. Take a little pressure off of each other. I don't expect Keith to believe for everything we need in our marriage. I don't expect him to deal with everything that goes on in the office and get up here and preach. I have certain jobs that I have to do in order for our marriage to work. It's not a one carrying another situation. It's you please him, he pleases her. And if you give and she gives and you change, you both change and take on. I don't know how many tasks that I would have told you in my lifetime that I did not know how to do. I didn't feel like I knew how to do certain things. I didn't feel like I was competent in doing certain things. But the challenge arose to buy this building. I didn't feel like I was some wheeler dealer to buy buildings and stuff. But God graces you to do whatever you need to do if you'll believe him. And there's no reason in one person in a marriage carrying all the weight and all the pressure of a situation. The man should not carry financial pressures. He should not carry them at all. You should both get together and repent on the floor because you got yourself there, most of us. We did. We got ourselves in financial messes a half a dozen times and had to repent and ask God to forgive us. But we changed. And we quit spending the way we were spending. And we quit getting in debt the way we were getting in debt. And we started looking at things right on. We didn't have to be at the level that such and such was at when they were at that level. And to tell you the truth, most of them that are trying to be at that level are not at that level. They just have credit card bills this high. And, you know, so what you have to do is you have to look at a situation head on. And you have to say, okay, we're in debt. What did we do to get here? How did we get in this situation? Well, this happens. I don't know how many counseling sessions we've been in. Well, she went out and spent a bunch of money on clothes and it made me mad. So I went and bought a boat. Now, is that dumb or what? So there you are. You've got not only all the credit cards filled up with clothes that you got to pay off that you can't take back, but you've also got the bank loan 
for the boat. And then you go to somebody crying, we're going to lose our house because we can't pay our bills. What's the word? Change. Change. Don't try to blame it on the devil. Be a man about it. Be a woman about it and say, hey, look, we got ourselves in this mess. I mean, I like certain things. I do. I like nice clothes. I like my nice house. I like my nice Jaguar. I like my nice things. I like them. I'm not going to tell you a lie that I don't. But I didn't put pressure on Keith to get those things. There came a point in time in our lives where we got totally and completely out of debt. And we said, if God doesn't bring it to us, we're not going to have it. And if you keep that pressure on your spouse and you keep putting pressure on them, they will break in some way. And women, I don't know if you know this or not, and I know that this would probably be said better with the women, but I want to see with the men a show of hands. Oftentimes, men will not say anything. They will be upset. They will be burdened down. And then the next thing you know, they have hit the road. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Women come to me crying. I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. Well, he's only told you for 10 years he didn't want things this way. And they're still that way. And so the next thing you know is they've hit the road. Well, it's not confusing. You keep pressure on somebody and they will explode at some point. And a lot of people, pride will come in and they won't want anybody to know that that's what the situation was because they didn't want any more pressure about finances. Financial pressures can be one of the worst pressures in a marriage. And so if you don't have the money, believe God for the clothes, believe God for the nice cars, believe God for the things, but don't go out and extend your credit cards or put pressure on your spouse or put pressure on your wife and your kids do without and you do without and you have all the strife and problems in your marriage because of your credit card debt or because of your bill debt. I mean, if you have financial troubles, do what Keith said the Lord dealt with him to do and what we did. I got the good part of this. God gave me a car. He did. God gave me a car. I mean, just outright gave me a car. Keith sold his and rode with me for a year and we worked in the admissions office hours and hours late at night and he had to wait on me hours and hours late at night because he had to get out of debt. He'd had a car since he was probably 12 years old. But the financial pressures of marriage along with everything else that you can be going through can destroy a marriage. So if you have to sell something, Sell it. And then get it without the pressures of it. Get it without the pressures of losing your marriage over money. Sell your house. Live in an apartment. Hey, I would do it before I would lose my marriage. Sell your car. I would do it. I like my car. Don't get me wrong. I do like my car. But if it meant that it was going to keep us under financial pressures and it was going to cost us even this church or it was going to cost us our marriage or it was going to cost us other things, there is no natural thing in this earth that I wouldn't get rid of to save my marriage. And there's no hours that I wouldn't work to save my marriage. God is your source, but there is a natural side along with the spiritual side. And you can't go out and charge everything and buy a boat because she bought clothes and expect God just to come in. He is merciful. Dear God, he saved us a hundred times over from us making stupid, stupid, stupid mistakes. 
and buying things we shouldn't buy and trying to keep up with the Joneses when we first got married. I mean, we weren't doing it idiotically. I was making $100,000 a year and I was spending it faster than I could get it. But when it starts to put pressure on you and you can't give like you're supposed to give and you can't have the marriage that you're supposed to have, it comes a point in time where if you've got to live in uh, shoot 'em up alley where we used to live, then that's where you live. In a furnished apartment that uh, the gang lived one side to the left and the school of metaphysics was on the other side and they siphoned our gas out of our cars and uh, for the money that we didn't have. But we didn't try to go beyond where we were. And we saved our marriage. That's not the only thing. But that is a pressure of marriages. And if you don't fix it, it can cost you everything. And it's not worth it. Money is not worth. I mean, the things that Keith and I have today as a ministry would not be here today, most likely, had we have defaulted in our marriage 20 years ago. We wouldn't probably have Faith Life Church today. I don't know. Do you know? If Keith and I would be divorced today over us thinking we had to have certain things or us having marriage problems because I refused to change the way I was, would we have Faith Life Church today? So you may think, well, we're not ministers. So it wouldn't matter if we broke up. It wouldn't matter. But you don't know what could have happened. I had no earthly idea, I mean no godly idea, no earthly idea, no idea whatsoever that we were going to be in the ministry when we met or when we were having so much trouble in our marriage. But God knew. And he told me when I came up out of that water, submit to my husband. And it saved our marriage because I was willing to change. You have to change. Okay. The other thing that we need to look at is, um, besides your money, is your personality. Personality traits. Like, for instance, um, I know of couples that um, she likes the opera. And he likes blue jeans and fishing. Okay. He likes, um, old ragged torn up things and, uh, fixing things and seeing how much duct tape he can use to fix something. And, um, and she likes crystal. You know? And so you have different personalities. And, uh, Keith and I are not the same. We don't minister the same. You know? I mean, I'm totally different than he is. He's totally different than I am. We have different personalities. And that's okay. That's okay, but you try to find out the middle of the road for those personalities and you kind of, you know, Keith doesn't try to make me just be quiet all the time. I think he has decided it would be a fruitless effort. (laughs) But on the flip side of the coin, for the first five or ten years of our marriage, I would say things in front of people and I would go home and I would be so condemned because of what I'd said. I couldn't hardly live with myself. He didn't have to tell me anything because I was so uh, insecure that I would get in front of certain people that I would feel like were more spiritual than I was or was more uh, together than I was. 
and I would talk too much and I would say things and then I would go away and I would be so condemned that I would almost take it out on him. And insecurities in your personality will destroy your marriage. Insecurities of the way that you are in trying to make people like you will destroy you. You know, the only way to become secure is spend time in this book and find out who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. When we were married, again, Keith, I know, bless his heart, he endures me when I tell all these stories about us. But when we were married, Keith was in the ministry and I was working and I was working and I was working and he was in the ministry and he was up in front of people and I was working. And I wasn't always there when he was speaking. So I went away with this inadequacy that he was somebody and I was nothing. Now, he didn't put that on me. That's something I put on myself. That's something I sat around and thought about and I sat around and dwelt on and I sat around and gave place to and I sat around and felt sorry for myself in self-pity because everybody knew who he was and nobody knew who I was. All I did was pick up his dirty clothes and wash and cook and eat and bring home the money. I'm not looking. This was when we were first married. I mean, we've been in the ministry almost as long as we've been married. But when we first got married, that was the way things were. And I piled all this stuff on my head. I took it all with me. And I convinced myself that I was nothing And he was everything. But you know why that was? Because he was spending time in the Word every day. He was having to preach five classes a day. He was having to teach. He was having to minister. He was having to spend time in the Word. And the more time he spent in the Word, guess what? The more confident he became in himself. And when a person is confident in themselves, they are not always needing somebody to scotch them up. They're not always needing somebody to pat them on the back and say, oh, sweetheart, you're doing a good job. He wasn't always needing that from me. But I was needing it from him. I was needing the, you're so wonderful for doing that. And he was busy dealing with people that whether they were going to live or die tomorrow. He was dealing with cancer, whether the person was going to make it through the day. And I was needing him to come home after wondering if they were going to live or die tomorrow and say, Hey, Phil, you're so wonderful. You're such a sweetheart. I needed it. And I, in doing that, was driving more wedges between us than you could have fixed with ten tons of Bibles. Because I was unwilling to open one of them. Every person in this room needs to feel valuable. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need to feel valuable. Every person in this room needs to feel valuable. But what happens in marriage is people get together, and instead of looking to the Lord for their value and their place and their uh, worthness and their position and what they're supposed to be, they begin looking to their spouse for that confirmation. 
They begin looking to each other for that confirmation. And you won't ever get it. Because they don't have it to give. The only person that can really, really, truly make you feel valuable is the Lord. It wouldn't matter if Keith stood up here all night and told me how wonderful I was. If I didn't believe... He has told me so many times, Phyllis, you're beautiful. You are wonderful. You're beautiful. But you know what? All during those times I was believing I was ugly and I was fat and I was insecure and I couldn't do nothing right and everything I did was wrong. And all the while he was telling me how wonderful I was. And there's no marriage in the whole wide world that will make it so long as you feel insecure. That you are insecure in yourself. You should get to a level to where the only thing that will change you is when I finally decided change. Get your Bible out and find out who you are supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing and where your place is and what your call is and what your position is and what your job is and what you need to do for God. And it wasn't until that time that things really began to change. It doesn't matter how many times Dave tells Kim he loves her. If Kim doesn't feel like she's doing what God has called her to do, she's never going to feel loved. You can believe it if you want to. I know I had it. Keith would tell me, oh, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. And I would think, yeah, right. I'd believe the devil. It was easier to believe the devil that I was insignificant and a nobody and a nothing than it was to believe my wonderful husband telling me how wonderful I was and God trying to tell me how wonderful I was. I rather chose to believe the devil. And as long as you do that, husband... Wife, as long as you feel as though you are not getting patted on the back. I mean, it's the funniest thing. A man can work 40 hours in a week and bring home a paycheck. And um, the wife can be home. But yet and still, um, she's taking care of the kids and she's cooked and she's done all this stuff. But she expects him, after he's worked the 40 hours, to come in and brag on her that the house is clean and the food is good. But did she say anything to him about how good he did by getting up and going to work every day? I remember we counseled with somebody one time. And um, the lady came to me, and she was all upset. It was her birthday or anniversary or something. I forget what it was. And um, she came to me, and she was just crying her eyes out, crying and crying and crying because her husband hadn't gotten her any flowers for her birthday or anything for her birthday. But I think she said flowers in this particular case, that he hadn't gotten her any flowers. And again, here I am, Miss Straightforward, Miss Perfect Counselor, I tell you what, some people think they want to counsel with me. <laughs> they think they do. That's my staff. They don't really want to, do they? <laughs> no, they don't really want to. Because it change. Anyway, this lady said, she's counseling, she's crying, she's thinking I'm going to pat her on the back and say, oh, that sorry rascal husband of yours, what a louse that man is. I said, when did you buy him flowers last? Oh. I just got right up in her face and asked her that question. I said, when is the last time you bought him flowers? And she was all upset. Well, But the fact still remains. When she was dating, she would have bought him flowers. She would have done things for him. She would have tried to please him. But now they're married and that all stops. He's just supposed to please her. So the 
I want to leave you, and then Keith's going to teach tomorrow night with this thing, this major, major, major point. And if you didn't get anything else tonight, I want you to get this. Nobody can make you feel valuable. No person here on this earth can give you your worth or your value or your place or your position. Nobody. No matter how wonderful they are. No matter how much they love you. No matter how much they care about you. No matter how much they put up with you. They can't make you feel that. There's only one person that can. And that's the Lord. Because if it was any other way, every single person in this room would be without. And they're not. And I was married and still was without. Because I didn't believe what he was telling me. Because you cannot even believe the truth unless you know the truth. He will give you all the worth that you need. He will give you all the place that you need. He will give you all the recognition you need. He will give you, I mean, now I go just the opposite end of the spectrum. When Keith tells me I have to teach, you can ask my staff. I have fought it for 10 years or longer that things that I need to do. And it's not one of my favorite things. It has not been. I won't confess it for the future, but it has not been one of my favorite things to do is to teach. But I do like helping people. I do like seeing people get their marriages straightened out, get help, get changes, get things turned around. So if you didn't learn anything else tonight, which I trust that you did, learn this one thing. Get in the Bible. Find out. Jude says you building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So that's how you build yourself up. You don't look for him to pat you on the back and build you up. You build yourself up to where when a situation arises in your life, and dear me, if Keith would have had to coax me along these 26 years, we wouldn't be where we are today because it's taken both of our faith, everything we can muster, everything we can believe for, everything that we can do to do some of the things that God's called us to do. And if he would have been constantly having to pat me on the back and carry me along, we wouldn't be able to do anything that the Lord has called us to do because he would be having to carry me instead of doing what the Lord dealt with him to do. And that's not okay with God. And it's the same thing with a man. I don't care if you're a man or you're a woman. You shouldn't always be needing somebody to pat you on the back and tell you you did a good job. When you get to heaven, God, you want the, it talks about it in the Word, about you either to receive the rewards down here or you receive them up there. I'd rather receive mine up there. So uh, let's stand up, and Keith, you can come on up if you've got anything you want to add or correct or straighten out or, or whatever you need to do at this point in time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Really excellent. Amen. Do you know how good that was? You know, people are looking for uh, things in marriage. And so much of marriage counseling and marriage ministry is solical. People trying to make people feel better about their situation. And that's not what you can live on. That's not what will carry you through the storms. Spiritual truth involved in spiritual laws. That's what makes the difference. And uh, really excellent, Phyllis. Good. Outstanding. Hallelujah.
Praise the Lord. Let's uh, lift up our hands. Let me pray over you. You know, uh, all of this is to no avail if we're not doers. So let's put up our hearts and our faith before the Lord. Let me lead you in a prayer. I'll pray for you first, then I'll lead you in a confession. Father, we receive these words tonight as though straight from you, because we believe that's how it is through your servant. And Lord, uh, nothing's too difficult, nothing's too hard for you to fix and change. We're asking you to show every one of us how to put these things into practice immediately, how to apply them, make known and clear and plain to everyone exactly uh, how to change, what needs to be changed, what steps to take to get back to pleasing each other and pleasing you. And Lord, because of this, we know we will be set free from all that's hindered and hurt and held back. You're such a good God. Thank you for this good word tonight. Thank you. Thank you for the truth that makes us free. Everybody say it out loud. Say it out loud if you are married, if you're believing that you will be. Go ahead and confess it in faith. Say it out loud. I do not live selfishly. I do not live to please myself. I please my God. And I please my spouse. I live to give. And because I'm a giver, it comes back on me. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. God meets all my needs according to His riches. In glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.